Welcome to this week's Rashi Shear, brought to you from the Bet Midrash of Mizrahi in Melbourne, Australia. So, good evening, and we resume our study of Rashi on, at the moment, Sefer Bereshit. One day we'll be in the Sefer Shemot. But this week we join again in Perak Kaftet, Pasuk Lamadalad. And we were in the middle of this Pasuk last week. And the story is that Leah is married to um, Yaakov, although she is clearly his less favorite wife. And Hashem gives her fertility. And she's had one child called Reuben. She's had one child called Shimon. And now she has a child whom she calls Levi. And the Pasuk says, V'tahar od, she conceived again, V'teled ben, and she bore a son, V'tomer, and she said, Ata hapam, now, this time, my husband will accompany a lie to me. Because I have borne him three sons. So he called, or therefore, he called his name Levi. So we said last week why um, she said, what's the significance of Hapam? And this is the first Rashi on the verse. And Rashi explained, that the the imahot would niviot, and they knew that there were going to be four wives and twelve children, four sons, and therefore when she has her third son, she's got her fair share, and that was the significance of hapam this time. Now the next Rashi on the verse says like this: Al Cain. Now that refers to the last, almost the end of the verse where it says Al Cain. Therefore, Karat Shemo Levi. He called his name Levi. And Rashi has a comment on Al-Kain. And he says, Call me Shene'emarbo Al-Kain. Everyone, that means each of the Shavatim, of whom it was said Al-Kain, Merubeh Ba'uchlusim, was big in population. In other words, the Shavatim, when you see their counting in Sefer Bamidbar, and you find out how much was in each Shevet, you find there were a number of Shavatim which were larger than the others, some were over 60,000. In fact, two of them were over 60,000. The rest were under 60,000, males between 20 and 60. So says Rashi, um, the ones who were populous were the ones who, in their naming, in this chapter and the next chapter, we find the words Al-Kain. So, Everyone who was um, called Al-Kain, I'll tell you now, that is Yehuda, and that is Dan, and that is lazy. In each of those three cases, we have Al-Kain, and nowhere else. I think somebody's got um, a bit of noise in the background. Ruth, maybe is that you? Can you mute yourself? I think I'm going to have to mute you. Okay. Um, done. Um, so, Levi, Dunn, and Yehuda, they're all given Al-Kain. Those three, and none of the other nine. So, says Rashi, there's a particular reason why they're given Al-Kain, because that makes them a ruba b'uchlasen, many in population. Chutz mi except for Levi. So, Levi, actually, even though he's Al-Kain, doesn't get this blessing of population. Why not? Shaha'aron haya makale bahem. Because the Aaron would literally finish them off. So we're trying to explain a little bit more about what the Aaron is doing and why Levi is the odd one out of the category which includes Levi. 
So it's a little bit of a funny thing. There are three tribes where it says Al-Kain. And the three tribes are uh, populous, but one of them isn't. So we have to find a reason why he isn't. That's, that's really what this Rashi is saying. Why does Rashi have to say anything? And why does he say something which is a little bit left field, a little bit midrashic? Um, the reason he has to say something is because basically at, this co- at its core, this Rashi is a classic Rashi, as I would say, because he notices something which is different, which is out of line, out of the pattern. We're going to go through 12 um, sons born to the wives of Yaakov. And they're all named, and they're all named for a reason. There's a history behind each name. And in nine cases, we don't find the words Alkane, and in three cases, we do. So why is it different in those three cases? That's Rashi's question. And Rashi's answer, drawing on the Midrash, but also drawing on, on the facts, if you like, of the population count, is that Alkane implies something special. It may be that Rashi is saying the word Al, as in Alkane, is related to Me'uleh, as in elevated, as in special, as in wonderful. Al, the basic idea of Al is to ascend, to be something more high than something else. So in what way do we see Al representing some height, some greatness? Answer in population. Now I have to say, it's not, there's not a huge gap between Yehuda and Dan in their population on the one hand, and the rest of the Shavatim in the other. There's not a huge gap. But it is true that Yehuda and Dan are the top two, and everywhere else is below their level. Now, what about yeah, Levi? So says Rashi, Levi was given an Alkane, but in fact, the numbers of Levian was very small, and they're not counted in the same way, so you can't make a direct comparison, but they were a small fraction compared to the Abishvatim. So given that they had the Alkane, which should mean that they're Meruba Ba'uchlosin, why weren't they? So Rashi says they weren't because Ha'aron Haya Makale Bahem. So the simple meaning of that is some of the Levium had the job of carrying the Aaron, or carrying the, the Kodshei Kadoshim, the holiest things in the Bet Mikdash, uh, sorry, in the Mishkan. Um, and we know that carrying the Aaron was a dangerous business. We know from the story of Uzzah, who in the time of David HaMelech put out his hand when the Aaron was being carried on a wagon to stop it falling, and he got punished quite severely for that, for being over-familiar with the Aaron. Um, we know that in the Midbar Perik Dalad Pasat Tet Vav, where at the end of, st- of describing how when the Mishkan was to be transported, the Kohanim would go into the Kodesh and even into the Kodesh Kodeshim and cover everything up, and only then would the Levim come in and carry them. And, and uh, Hashem says to Moshe, make sure the Lotigu El HaKodesh Vemetu. So they shouldn't touch, that the Levim, they shouldn't touch something holy and die. So we know that Mita, death, was a punishment, Midei Shemayim, from heaven for over-familiarity with the holy things of the Mishkan, especially the Aram. However, we can go a little bit further, because that doesn't explain two things. First of all, it doesn't explain why there were so few Levium at the beginning. Um, if the Aaron, if, if the danger of carrying the Aaron was so great that it was going to kill off a few Levium, then initially, at the time the Mishkan was set up, you would expect the Levium to be many, but they weren't. Um, at the time, the, the census was taken very shortly after the Mishkan was set up, so there wouldn't be time um, for the Aaron to have its deleterious effect on the Levium. That's point one. Point two, there were three sub-tribes of the Levium, Kohat, um, Merari, and Gershon, and only Kohat was the carrier 
of the Aaron and the other holy vessels. The other two sub-tribes carry different parts of the Mishkan with less Kedusha, so they shouldn't be affected. And yet they're all, uh, part, they're all proportionally very small as a tribe. So we can go a little bit further. The Ramban asked the question, um, why, I think it's the Ramban, um, why there were so few Levium. <coughs> and he says, yes, it is, the, I'm sure it's the Aaron Ramban. He says the Levium were not enslaved in Egypt. Um, Rashi says we know this because Moshe and Aaron went in and out of the palace willy-nilly and they weren't uh, uh, stopping their slave work because the Levium, Moshe and Aaron being Levium, didn't have slave work. They weren't enslaved. The Midrash says they never fell for the trick that Paro played upon everyone else. But for whatever reason, they were never enslaved. And the Pasuk uh, at the beginning of Shemot says that the more Paro tried to enslave the Jews in order to reduce their numbers, the more they grew. Um, the more he inflicted them, the more they grew. So Levi, which was never afflicted, was never growing like the other Shavatim. And that would explain why there were so few Levium at the beginning of the uh, time in the Midbar. So what's that got to do with the Aaron? How can we relate that to the Aaron? So maybe because the Levium were going to be the carriers of the Aaron, they were, they were therefore on such a level that it was inappropriate for them to fall into slavery. So because they weren't slaves, which was the reason there were so few of them, because they didn't grow like the enslaved people grew, but the reason they weren't enslaved is because they were in the future going to be carrying the Aram. So it's a little bit nicer, I think it's a bit of a stretch to be honest, but it's a nicer way of reading this Rashi, rather than the Aram kills off the Levium, but because, to say something different, because they were worthy of carrying the Aaron, therefore they weren't enslaved, therefore they didn't grow. That explains why they didn't have such numbers. That explains, answers my two questions, why they weren't um, populous before the Mishkan was there and before there was a danger from the Aaron killing them off. And number two, why the small number applied to all three sub-tribes, because all three sub-tribes were of this higher level that Levi was. Only one of the sub-tribes, the Kohat, and their descendants were worthy to carry the Aaron, but all of them were worthy to be on a higher level than the rest of the people, hence not enslaved in Egypt, hence not growing in population. Okay, let's move on to the next Rashi. Continuing on the same Pasuk, on the words Kara Shemo Levi. He called his name Levi. And straight away Rashi tells us the obvious problem. Bukulam Ketiv Vatikra. With all of them, which means with all the other 11, it says she called, <clears throat> because in each case, <clears throat> the mother, whichever of the four wives of Yaakov it is, it's the mother who says there's a particular story behind this birth, and therefore this is the name that I, the mother, will give to the child. But in this case, it says Kara, he called his name Levi. Continues Rashi, Vazer Katavbo Kara. In this case, it says, he called. And there is a Midrash in Devarim Rabbah, just give you the reference, that Hashem sent the Malach Gavriel, and he brought him before him, and other words, Gavriel brought the baby that was just born before him, the Kara Lo Shem Zeh, and gave him this name of Levi. 
So the he called him, says the Midrash, was Gavriel the Malach on behalf of Hashem. He did the naming. And he gave him the 24 gifts of the Kohuna. So there's a number of things that non-Kohanim have to hand over to Kohanim. Um, parts of the animals that they kill, the Rishit uh, Agaz, the first of the shearing, Truma, and, 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 and Trumat Masa, and, and a number of things. There's 24 altogether. And so Gavriel gave to Levi, who's the ancestor of the Kohanim, the 24 gifts, Va'al Shem Shalivahu Matanot, and because he accompanied him with these gifts, Kara'o Levi, called him Levi. Now, the obvious question with this Rashi is the same that we had with Rashi's comment on Reuven and the name of Reuven, is why does Rashi ignore what was said in the Pasuk, and Rashi's actually already explained, and go for a Midrashic explanation of the name Levi? Because the Pasuk says that uh, Leah said, Ata hapa ishi elai. This time my husband will accompany me, from which we get the word Levi. So the Pasuk tells us it was Leah's wish that her husband would accompany her that gives the name Levi. So why does Rashi give this story about Gavriel and the Matanot Kahuna, and it's the Matanot Kahuna which is by the name Levi? And the answer, once you click, is obvious that Leah is describing why she thinks the name should be Levi. But she isn't the one who calls him Levi, as the Pasuk clearly says by putting Karashamo in the masculine. So somebody else calls him Levi. So we need to know, A, who that someone else is, and B, why does that someone else call him Levi? Because Leah's answer is relevant to Leah, but Leah isn't the one who gives him the name. So we conclude that there must be another reason for somebody else giving the name. Uh, and that is this story that Rashi finds in the Midrash. Um, he needs a Midrashic answer because we need to answer the question. And he finds that the person calling him Levi is Gavriel. And the reason is because of the 24 Matanat Kohuna, the gifts that are given to the Kohuna, which accompany Levi. Um, just by the way, the Muscular David says something very nice that we spoke uh, a moment ago about how Al-Kain refers to uh, the bracha of great population. And then we said, but it didn't apply to Levi. So in which case we're sort of stuck because what does Al-Kain mean for Levi? It must mean something. It, it, it doesn't really fit to say, well, it means he could have had a large population, but he didn't because he ends up without the some sort of elevation, which is implied by the words Al-Kain, especially if Al is related to Aliyah and Mu'uleh. So says the muscular David, this is what uh, Levi gets. He doesn't get the great population, but he does get the Kaftalad Matanat Kohuna, the 24 gifts to the Kohen. And Rashi mentions it here really to help us understand the previous comment of Rashi about the Al-Kain business. So the Al-Kain, every three tribes get something special. Two of them, it turns out, get great population. And then Rashi tells us this story about the Matanat Kohuna to tell us what it is that's special for Levi that fulfills, if you like, his Al-Kain. Um, it's also a, an interesting idea from the Kliakar um, that links um, the two reasons, if you like, Leia's reason and Rashi's reason of Gavriel, would quote in the name of the Malach Gavriel. Remember, there was two reasons. Leia says because she thinks this time her husband will accompany her. And um, 
Rashi's, re- sorry, yeah, Rashi's reason from the Midrash about Levi is special because he's going to be the ancestor of the Kahanim. So um, it goes like this, that Leah gave birth, first of all, to Reuven, who was the firstborn son. So he should get the Bechorah. Um, the, what is the Bechorah? So we know from the whole story of Yaakov and Esau, at least the way Rashi explained it, that the Bechorah, the firstborn, right, is the right to do the Avoda, to serve in the Mishkan and subsequently in the Bet Mikdash. So Leah gives birth to Reuven. Reuven is the Bechor. He's going to do the Avoda. That makes Leah special. But then that doesn't transpire because Reuven loses that Bechorah. It's taken away from Reuven. Because Reuven wasn't up to it. We'll find out much later why. And it was given to whom? Given to Levi. Levi is the tribe that takes over the role of performing the Avoda. So Leah thinks now that Levi, as the Midrash says, is, if you like, crowned, adorned with the right to do the Avoda and to produce the Kohanim, so she thinks, now my husband will accompany me because I've given birth. It didn't work with Reuven, but now I've given birth to the, to the Shevet, which is going to do the Avoda. So that's a way, says the Kliakar, of linking the two reasons. The one in the Pasuk, that Leah says, my husband will now accompany me. And the one in the Midrash, that it's about Levi is special because he's going to give birth to the Kohanim, who are going to do the Avoda. Those two reasons go together, says the Kliakar. Let's move on to Pasuk Lamad Hay. The Tahar old, she conceived again. The Teled Ben, and she bore a son. The Tomer, and she said, Hapam Oder et Hashem. This time I will thank Hashem. Alkain Kara'a Shemo Yehuda. Therefore she called his name Yehuda, Betamod Miledet. And she stopped giving birth. She took a break, or her. Uh, a break was taken. Says uh, Leah, she says, Hapa'am Oder et Hashem. This time I will thank Hashem. And that's why she called his name Yehuda. Yehuda from the word Oder. And it's worth pointing out, and I mentioned this last week, uh, sort of the epilogue to the Shia, that we are called Jews from the word Yehuda. Um, we are the people who know how to give thanks, or at least we should be. The first word we say in the morning is Modeh or Moda. Because as we wake up, we give thanks. And what does it give thanks mean? It means to acknowledge. In Hebrew, the word to acknowledge, to confess, to thank, they're all the same word. Because thanking is acknowledging what the other person or the other party or HaKadosh Baruch Hu has. So Leah says, Hapam Ode et Hashem, and therefore she calls her name, and ultimately she calls us Yehuda. But why does she say, Hapam Ode et Hashem? So it says Rashi, Hapam Ode. That I have taken more than my portion. And from now I have to give thanks. I have something on which to give thanks. So continuing the idea that Rashi expressed in the previous verse, that the Imahot knew that there were going to be four wives, twelve sons. That's an average of three per son, per wife. She's now had four. So she's got more than her share. And that explains the hapam, this time. Rashi's problem is, why this time does she give thanks? Hasn't she given thanks before? Isn't it always worth giving thanks? Why this time? So Rashi says it's significant that she says it at the fourth child, because now she has more than her fair share. Yater michelki. 
Me'ata yeshli lahodot. And therefore, I now give thanks. Um, it's worth pointing out, because I think this is just such a special verse and such an important verse, that there are other explanations. I don't normally give alternatives to Rashi, but I, I want to in this case. Um, that number one, um, and I also mentioned this last week at the end of the shir, that <clears throat> you can say that she wanted Ruven, she wanted Hashem to see her, Shimon to hear her, Levi to accompany her, and it didn't happen. It didn't happen. She never got the love of her husband, at least in the way that she wanted it, because that love was always primarily directed to Rachel. But even so, she's got four children. She's got a lot to give thanks for. So even though she hasn't got what to her is most important, she still teaches us that it's worth giving thanks. And Rav Soloveitchik actually says basically this. She says, he says, only after her fourth son was born did Leah finally resign herself to the truth of her relationship with Yaakov. Leah realized that even after giving birth to three sons, there would be no fundamental change in Yaakov's relationship with her. Rachel would always remain the greater object of his love. With Yehuda's birth, Leah finally relinquished the hope of ever being Yaakov's beloved one. Yet she was grateful to God that she had four children to love and care for. And then Rav Soloveitchik quotes a Gemara in Brachot 7b, Zion Bet, in the name of Rabbi Shewan Bayachai, that Leah was the first to offer thanks to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So the Gemara says something surprising, that the first person to thank Hashem was Leah. Now this is problematic because we're sure that the Avot, Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov, Adam, Noah, they thanked Hashem in one way or another. So why does the Gemara say that Leah was the first to thank Hashem? So says the Rav, this fits in with his explanation, that Leah was the first to assert that Hashem must be praised for any blessing that he bestows upon us. That was her chiddush, that was the new thing that she taught, that even though it wasn't perfect for her, and very much not perfect, nevertheless she had something for which to give thanks, and that's what she taught us, that you give thanks for whatever you have. Um, at this point, the Ketav Sofer gives another answer to this question, what does it mean in the Gemara, that she was the first to give thanks? Didn't Avram Yitzhak Nyakov give thanks to the miracles, for the miracles that occurred to them? Says the Ketav Sofer, that's exactly the point. Before her, people gave thanks for miracles. She was the first to give thanks for something normal and something natural, giving birth. Um, it's a very natural process. It's not a miracle. So she taught us, this is the Ketav Sofer, that you give thanks even for nature and not just for miracles. And either way, the reason I, I dwell on this is because of the point I made a moment ago, that this is where we get our name from. We are Jews because Leah taught us to give thanks. And all these explanations of what was so special about that, I think are pertinent to what a Jew should be. So let's move on. We have finished chapter Kaftet, and now we commence chapter Lamed. And the first Pasuk says, Vatera Rachel kilo yalada. Rachel saw that she had not given birth, Yaakov to Yaakov. Vatakane Rachel ba'achuta. And Rachel was jealous of her sister. Vatome el Yaakov, and she said to Yaakov, Hava li vanim, give me children, ve'im ayin, and if not, meta anochi. So this verse, um, and the ones that are coming, is quite complicated, at least the way Rashi sees it. There's a lot to be said on it. There's a lot of psychological discussion that one can have. That is not Rashi's way. 
And although just before in the previous verse, I broke my rule and I gave non-Russian interpretations, I'm now going to reinstate that rule and go back to Rashi. And I think it's important to point out that Rashi doesn't see this narrative, even this section, as a love story. Rashi's approach is not to look really into the psychological depth uh, of what the people are thinking. And I think we should bear that in mind when we see the way Rashi interprets the verses. Remember, there are many, many other ways, but we're learning Rashi. And Rashi's uh, direction at all times is to explain Pshuto Shomekra, is to give the simple meaning of the text. And I would like to say that um, I, I thought of doing, I thought of actually reading Pasuk Aleph Bet Gimel altogether, um, but we're not going to. We will do it one by one. But please remember that what Rashi says in Aleph and in Bet and in Gimel is really to explain all three together. Rashi sees all three verses, Aleph Bet Gimel, as linked, as telling part of the same story. Um, and the reason Rashi gives the background that he does is really to explain what's going on in all three, and in particular, one word, one little word in Pasuk Gimel that Rashi needs to build up an explanation towards. So please bear that in mind. So um, the first thing to say is the Takane Rachel Ba'achotah. Rashi got a problem with the words Rachel was jealous of her sister. So I'm not going to point out what Rashi's question is. Let's look at Rashi's answer, and then I think the question will be obvious. She was jealous, Rachel was jealous, of Leah's good deeds. Amra, she said, If it weren't for the fact that she is more righteous than me, she would not have merited to have children. So Rachel looks at the lot, as it were, of herself and her sister. She sees that Leah's had four children and Rachel has had none. And she concludes, says Rashi, that Leah must be a greater tzedeket than Rachel. And that is why she merits children. And that, says Rashi, is what is meant by Rachel was jealous of Leah. She was jealous of her elevated status as a tzedekis. What is Rashi's problem? I think Rashi's problem is obvious that it could not be that Rachel Imenu was jealous, in the sense that we use that term, of her sister. After all, uh, to be jealous is one of the, uh, to, not to be jealous rather, is one of the Ten Commandments, the Aserah of Dibrot. Um, that doesn't make it more important than the other 603, but it, it makes it significant. Um, and it's an Isur Daraita to be jealous. Um, but it is permitted to be jealous of somebody's good deeds. Kina Sofrim Marbe as the Gemara says, the jealousy of teachers increases wisdom. In other words, if a teacher wants to be um, to learn more Torah than somebody else and to understand Torah better than somebody else, that's not improper. Um, may not be ideal, but it's not improper. And if somebody is jealous of somebody else's good deeds and says, ah, oh, I wish my deeds were as good as that person's, that's not improper. That's not the sort of jealousy that is forbidden. So Rachel Emenu, who is herself a great personality and a great Sadekis, it cannot make sense that she is jealous. So Rashi has to explain it in a different way. Um, it's also worth pointing out that um, if Rachel were of the jealous sort, she's had plenty of opportunities to be jealous before now. And in particular, the great moment which, the, uh, which set up the whole family structure with all its problems for Yaakov, the moment when he was married to the one he thought was Rachel was actually Leah. And if Rachel was a jealous person, that would have been the moment she would have been jealous of Leah. 
that uh, Yaakov has worked seven years for Rachel, and Rachel doesn't get Yaakov. And of course, she didn't know that she was going to marry Yaakov a week later. She thought it was all over. And we also know, as Rashi's pointed out, that she actually facilitated that by giving the simanim, by giving the secret signs to Leah. So we see from that that Rachel was not a jealous type. And therefore, when the Pasuk says, it doesn't mean she was jealous, it must mean something else, i.e. she was jealous of the righteousness of Leah and wanted to be as righteous as Leah was. Next Rashi, on the words, give me, says Rashi, um, in the words of Rachel, is this what your father did for your mother? Hello, hit palel aleha. Surely he davened for her. He prayed for her. So the way Rashi sees what's going on is there is a discussion. I might even call it an argument, but let's call it a discussion between Rachel and Yaakov about Yaakov's um, obligations and then later on Rachel's obligations, as we will see. So. Uh, before we get into that, sorry, I think I, I should say Rashi's understanding of Havali, give me children. Now, Rashi knows, and Rachel must know, that it's not up to, Rach, to, to Yaakov to give her children. If she hasn't got pregnant up till now, it's not as simple as saying to Yaakov, give me children. What can she demand of Yaakov? That he daven for her. Because giving children is in the hands of a Kaddish Baruch Hu, it's not in the hands of Yaakov. So it must mean when he, she says, give me, that's her way of saying, daven for me. And then, and this is for the sake of what's coming next, Rashi puts it as saying, your father, Yitzchak, daven for your mother. So we know at the beginning of Parashat Toldot, that Yaakov and, sorry, Rivka and Yitzchak had been married for 20 years. Says Rashi, 10 of those years, um, Rivka was old enough to have children and she didn't have children. And after those uh, 20 years in total had passed, Yitzchak and Rivka davened and Yitzchak's prayers were answered and Rivka had a child, in fact, two children. So we know that Yitzchak davened for Rivka to have children. So Rachel says to Yaakov, you should daven like your father did. Now, again, the uh, Rashi has to explain Havatli, give me children, as in the sense of Davan for me to have children, because it doesn't make sense otherwise, because Rachel knows that's all that Yaakov can do. The bit about the mother and the father is, in the, is necessary for what's coming next. Um, it's also, oh yeah, no, so we've now got uh, the next uh, comment of Rashi, that's right. Meta Anochi. So the Pasuk said, the Im Ayin, and if not, meta anochi. Uh, if you don't give me children, literally, and the tense is important here, I am dead. And it says Rashi on the words meta anochi, mikan from here, lemisha ein lovanim shachashuv kamit. Somebody who does not have children is considered as dead. The Gemara lists um, a few categories of people who are considered as dead: poor, blind and childless. So it says Rashi, we learn from here that somebody who is childless is considered, at least in some respects, as dead. Now how do we learn it from here? And it's all in the tense. What Rif, uh, sorry, Rachel doesn't say is, if I don't have children, I will be so upset, I will wither away and I will die. 
Now, some want to read Rush, uh, Rachel's comments like that. But Rashi is saying, you can't say that about Rachel's comments because she uses the present tense. She doesn't say, emot, I will die. She says, meta anochi, I am dead. Now, you could say that this is in the conditional. Namely, if you don't give me children, then there will come a time when I will be dead. So you could say it's got a future sense. It's interesting that Rashi doesn't um, quote in his Dibra Matchil, the im ayin, and if not, meta anochi. But his Dibra Matchil, the words he's commenting on, are just the words meta anochi. So I think that is a clue that he sees them as an independent statement. Meta anochi, I am dead. Now, what the obvious problem is she's not dead. She's standing there talking. So what does it mean, I am dead? It must mean that I am considered as dead. Hence Rashi says, from here we see that somebody in that situation is considered as dead, and now Rashi's answering the problem. Why does she say, I am dead, when she's not? Answer, because she's in that state that is considered as dead, and we actually learn that fact from these words. Why, by the way, is somebody who's childless considered as dead? So the Maharal says that the essence of life is continuity. Or to put it another way, something that has a hefsek, that has a break in it, is not alive. Now, this is the Maharal talking um, in ways which he, he, he uh, I don't think he means that in a very precise way, but he means it in a certain aspect. So in a certain aspect, a life which has a hefsek, an, a, a, a finality, is not a life. So how do we normally overcome that? We are blessed with children and the children carry on our path. And in a sense, we carry on living through our children, even after our time has come. But somebody who doesn't have children, doesn't have that continuity, and in that sense, is already chashuv kamait, is considered as dead. Now, by the way, I just want to um, uh, add an interpretation of what Rashi's saying. It's not the only interpretation, but um, as I keep promising, we're building up to uh, a picture which is gonna emerge soon. So just remember this point that she is saying, I am dead. And that is why you should daven for me to bring me back to life. You should pray for the basically, because that's the state I'm in. So just bear that in mind. And, and her taina, this, her, then that's right. Uh, and this explains something else. Uh, I didn't say this earlier, but I'll, I'll say it now. According to Rashi, Rachel says to Yaakov, you should daven for me like your father daven for your mother. This raises the question, was, was Yaakov not davening for Rachel? So the commentators on Rashi give different answers. Um, there is an answer to say, no, he wasn't davening for Rachel, which is strange. Surely he would daven for everybody, above all for his own wife. Um, the Mizrahi says you can only daven for somebody uh, if you're involved in what you're davening for as well. Uh, and as we'll see in a minute, Yaakov was in a different category from Rachel. I don't want to spoil what's coming next, but Yaakov was in a different category from Rachel. Um, that's, so one explanation is when she says, when Rachel says to Yaakov, daven for me, it could be because he wasn't davening for her. Or it can be that he absolutely was davening for her. Of course he was, and that fits in much better with our understanding of how this is playing out. But her complaint was, he, either she wasn't, he wasn't davening enough, or we can be a bit more precise, a bit more intricate, he was doubling, her, doubling for her in the wrong way because he was doubling for her as if she was alive and she's saying to him now, you've got to consider me as dead and that's how you've got to doven. Okay, bear that in mind as we move on. Pasuk Bet. Vayichar af Yaakov 
Yaakov got angry with Rachel. And he said, Elokim Anochi. Am I literally under Hashem? Asher Mimech who has held back from you the fruit of your womb, i.e. children. So let's go straight into the first Rashi. Hatachat says Rashi, Vahi Bimkomo Ani, question mark, am I in his place? So Rashi is translating the word Tachat. The He at the beginning makes it a question. But why does Rashi need to translate the word Tachat as meaning in his place? Because you might think, um, it's hard to imagine this because we're so used to translating it in a figurative way, but we might think that Tachat should be translated in a literal way, meaning underneath. That's what Tachat basically means. It does have a sec secondary meaning, meaning as in the place of. When Avraham slaughtered and sacrificed the ram, Tachat Bano, under his son. So it was the Midrash that said Yitzchak was on top and the ram was underneath, taking the word Tachat literally. But, says, but we understand there it was instead of his son. Rashi actually makes that point. So in place of his son. Interesting example, by the way, of where the simple meaning of the text is not the literal meaning of the text. In the case of uh, Yitzchak at the Akedah, um, to say under, the, he slaughtered the ram under his son, it's the literal meaning of the word, but that's not the simple meaning of the text. So those two concepts don't always match up. And similarly here, really, um, Yaakov says, Hatachat Elohim Anochi, doesn't mean, am I under Hashem? It means, am I in the place of Hashem? Do you think that I can give you a child, uh, and that's why you're asking me to give you a child? I can't do that. Only Hashem can do that. Okay, um, so then on the next words of Yaakov, Rashi says, Asher Manach Mimech, who has for, uh, um, held back from you, i.e. he's held back from you, children. Am I in the place of Hashem, Asher Manach Mimech Pri who has held back from you, children. Continues Rashi, and I'll say again, the reason Rashi says this is because he's building up to what he's going to say in the next verse. At omeret ka'aba. You say that I should do like my father did. Ani eini ka'aba. I am not like my father. Abba lo hayu lo bonim. My father, Yitzchak, at that time, didn't have any children. Ani yeshli banim. I do have children. I've got four children already. Mimeich mana velo mimeni. Hashem has held back children from you, but not from me. Hashem's not holding back children from me. He's obviously holding back children from you. Wow. This is a very hard Rashi, because it sounds like Yaakov is being incredibly unsympathetic. Um, for couples going through the pain of infertility, for the husband to say to the wife, well, it's all your fault, it's not mine, is a terrible, terrible thing to say, and one wouldn't say it. So what does Rashi mean when he says that Yaakov says this? So answer number one, I'll just say one more time, he's building up to, he's building the, the case, the building the edifice for when we get to the next verse. And the fact that Rachel says, you should do like your father Yitzchak did. And he replies, like, my father was in a different situation because he didn't have children. I do. It's all necessary to explain what's coming next. But it could be that Yaakov is saying that you asked me to daven for you, and I am davening for you, 
but I can't daven in the same way my father did because he had an existential need himself. I will be davening on behalf of someone else, not that I need it myself. And that's a different type of tefillah. It's a good tefillah. He's definitely davening. But he has to say, I can't daven in the same way my father did. Um, another point that he's making is, um, to get a little bit more halachic, my father had a problem in that he there was a mitzvah that he had to fulfill, the mitzvah peru to have children, which he wasn't fulfilling. I... I'm fulfilled, fulfilling that mitzvah. I haven't had any girls yet, but I've had four boys, so I'm on my way to fulfilling the mitzvah. And as for you, you aren't required to have, you don't have that mitzvah. Peru Ravu is a mitzvah on the man and not on the woman. So I was in a situation, my father was in a situation where he hadn't fulfilled the mitzvah. He was davening to fulfill it. I can't be davening to fulfill the mitzvah because I already have. You don't need to daven to fulfill the mitzvah because you don't have that mitzvah in the first place. So that's why the situation is quite different. And that could be an interpretation of what Rashi puts, the words that puts into Yaakov, to say, uh, Hashem has held them back, Mimech, from you, but not from me. But that's okay, because I've got the mitzvah to fulfill, and you don't. Okay, let's, let's move on to the next pasuk, because I keep promising this is uh, where we're leading up to. Vatomer, and she said, Hinei amati bilha. She said, Behold, here is my maidservant Bilha, Ba'eleha, come into her, in other words, have a surrogate pregnancy with her, Vateled al Birkai, and she will give birth literally on my knees, the Ibaneh Gam Anochi, and I will be built also me, Mimena, from her. So let, let me go straight into Rashi and then I'll come back. So first of all, he has to explain Al-Birakai. And he says, Katargumo, it's like the Targum, the Onkelos uh, translates it into Aramaic, the Anna Arabe, I will raise him. Bilha, my servant, will have a child, but this really will be a surrogate pregnancy. By the way, not like uh, a long time ago, we talked about Sarah um, bringing in Hagar um, as a, uh, uh, as a, concubine for Abraham um, and although we use the words Ibanea, I will be built as Rashi explained there it doesn't mean that Sarah would raise Hagar's child but rather through the merit of bringing Hagar into the relationship and, and giving up of herself through that merit she will be, have her own child um, and Rashi was very clear but that's what Sarah meant Rashi here doesn't say that he says that using the Ongulus translate Arbir Kai, it doesn't literally mean that Billah will give birth sitting on top of uh, Rachel, which could be an interpretation of the whole surrogate thing, but that's not what it means, says Rashi. Arbir Kai means I will raise the child. Just like um, we see at the end of Yosef's life in Perak Nun, and I forget which Pasuk, that uh, Menashe's grandchild, uh, Yosef's great-grandchild, was born on the knees of Yosef, what does that mean? It means the same thing that Yosef helped to raise him. So um, here, uh, Rashi says, Arabikai means I will raise the child. It doesn't mean literally on my knees. Um, so the simple answer of what Rashi's doing here is he's telling you what the word means. And it doesn't, again, doesn't mean the simple meaning, the literal meaning of on my knees, but it means I will raise the child. Okay, let's get on to the next Rashi. The Ibaneh, Ibaneh, Gam Anochi. 
and I also will be built. Mahu gum. What is meant by gum? What is meant by also? And this is what Rashi has been building up to. And I promised that everything Rashi said on Pasuk Aleph, Bet Gimel is in order to really answer one little word in Pasuk Gimel. And the little word is the word gum. Also. Also in addition to what? What is Rachel saying? I will also be built as. Now it can't be Leah. You might think, well, our Leah's had children, aren't also have children, because there's no, she can't kill herself. Having a surrogate child is not the same as having four children. So she's not saying, I will be the same as Leah. So the gum can't refer to also like Leah. It means something else. Let's look at Rashi. Mahu gum, what is meant by also? Amra, lo, she said to him, so remember, sorry, you've got to go back to the conversation. I'll just very quickly recap on the conversation. She says, give me children. Daven for me like your father daven for your mother. He said, oh, this is all in the Rashi, but my father's situation was different. He didn't have children, um, and I did. To which she says, Amrullah, she said to him, Zekencha, let's go back one generation early, your grandfather, Avraham, Hayu lo vanim mehagar, he also had children from Hagar, just like you have children from Leah. The Hagar Matnav Keneged Sarah. Literally, he girded his loins towards Sarah, which meant he davened for her. Although we don't see it explicitly, he davened for her, incidentally. But Rashi says that Rachel said that your grandfather Abraham, even though he already had children, he already fulfilled at least part of the mitzvah Puruvu with one child. Um, he nevertheless davened on behalf of Sarah. That's Rachel's claim. So you should daven on behalf of me. Continues the conversation, says Rashi. Omarla, he said to her, Zekenati, my grandmother, Sarah, she brought her rival into the house by giving Hagar to Abraham. Amra lo, Rachel said back to Yaakov, Im hazem if that's what's holding back, Hine amati, here is my maidservant. And continues Rashi, the ibane gam anochi, and I will be built up like her. Sorry, like also, also I will all be built up, says Rashi, ker Sarah, like Sarah. And I promise this is the last time I said that the whole Rashi that we've seen of the last three Pesukim has been building up to Latlam, what the last word. Who is gum like? I will also be built up like Sarah was. Just as Sarah was able to bring her own rival into her house and into the relationship with her husband, I will do the same with my maidservant Bilhah. And then Ibaneh. Gam Anochi Mimena, I will also be built up from her, Gam just like Sarah. And without the background, without the discussion going on previously, we wouldn't have been able to get to that point. Where would Sarah have come into the story? Only through Rashi building us up to that point. Rashi's also answered something else in this verse. Where does Bilhah come from? Why does Rachel suddenly say, all right, have Bilhah, have a child with Bilhah. Where did she get that idea from? So again, Rashi's explained beautifully. 
she gets that idea because Yaakov's mentioned it in the extra information that Rashi has given us. Yaakov's gone on about Sarah brought Hagar into her house. Ah, clicks. Rachel, that's why I'll bring Bilha. Otherwise, where would Rachel have got that idea? And Rashi has explained that. By the way, one interesting point is whereas when she said to Yaakov, Havali Banim Vim Ayin, give me children, if I don't get children, um, I, I, I'm dead, implying she wasn't sure she was going to have children. But now suddenly she is sure. She says, Ibane, I will be built up. Not maybe, not perhaps, but I will be built, built up. Again, Rashi's explaining why. Because now she knows the answer. Because Yaakov has reminded her of what Sarah did. Sarah did by offering Hagar to Abraham. So Sarah merited a child. So she says, if I offer um, Bilhah to uh, uh, Yaakov, I'll also merit a child. Now I have to say at this point, it's not clear if the child is the baby that Bilhah will have, or like Sarah, one day Rachel will have her own child. I'll, I'll leave the book open on that. It could be, you could read it either way. Okay, that was those three Pesukim. Let's go on a little bit. Pasuk Dalad, V'titain lo et bilha shifchata le'isha v'yavo eleha Yaakov. And she gave Bilha, her maidservant, to her husband. Uh, sorry, no, as a wife. V'yavo eleha Yaakov, and Yaakov came into her. And Pasuk hey, V'taha bilha v'teled Yaakov ben. Bilha conceived and she bore a son to Yaakov. Pasuk Vav, so there's no Rashi on Dalad, no Rashi on Hay, Pasuk Dalad, Pasuk Vav, sorry, Vatome Rachel. Rachel said, now Rachel names the child because she's the surrogate mother. Danani Elohim. Hashem has, well, let's just leave it as something to do with Dan or Dayan. Vigam Shema Bakoli, and he has also listened to my voice, to my prayer. Vyatain Li Ben and has given me a son. Al-Kain, remember, the, uh, Al-Kain goes with Yehuda, which we've already had, and Levi, which we've already had. So here's the third and final example of Al-Kain. Al-Kain kara'ah shamo dan. So she called his name dan. And it's she doing the calling, so we don't have the problem of, uh, of somebody else calling the name. And she calls the name dan because of danani elokim. Now, what does Danani Elohim mean? So Rashi explains, and confusingly, Rashi says it means two things. Danani, Vechivani. He has, um, I'm not going to translate Danani, but Vechivani, he has found me liable, Chayav. Vezakani, sorry, Vezikani. And he has found me righteous. So, I keep avoiding what does Danani mean. It's something to do with judging. And when you judge, Dayan, Din, there is a one who comes out, Chayav, and there's one who comes out, Zakai. One is liable and one is not liable, or righteous, not quite the right word, but um, found to be the, the, the right one in the case. And um, Rachel says both, which is a little bit curious. Now, why does she say two things? Well, we can sort of go in the other direction and say, let's, what's her situation? Her situation is good and not good. What's good about it? She's had a son. 
What's not good about it? Well, it's not actually her own natural child because she is still infertile. And her sterility lasts for a long time until Yosef comes along sometime later. So things are good, but things are not good. So that could be why Rashi says, on the one hand, Chivani, and on the other hand, Zakani. Um, but it's also the case, that if you look at the verse, as of course Rashi does, that's what he does, you'll see two things. He says, she says, Danani Elohim, Vagam Shema Bakoli. And also, he's heard my voice. Saying there's two things going on. There's a Danani, which yeah, at that point might be good or bad, but it's probably bad because it's contrasted with um, Shema Bakoli. Shema Bakoli is obviously good. He's heard my voice. He's answered my prayer. He's given me what I've been asking for. So that's uh, Zikani. So what is Danani? So says Rashi, Danani is Chivani. Now you might say that there's a little bit of a problem with what I've just said, and I realize that, but what I've just said is the view of many of the Mephorshim of Rashi. Uh, it would be better if Rashi's Debar Amatchil were Danani Begam Shema Bakoli, if those two things relate to the two things that Rashi said, but Rashi doesn't say that. He puts them both on the word Danani Elohim. But let's go a little bit further. Why was I reticent to translate the word Danani? Because the word Dan can mean different things. It can mean punishment. Um, for instance, uh, at the Brit Ben of Atarim, Hashem says to Abraham, your children will go down to Egypt, and then they'll come out of Egypt. And also the nation whom they serve, I will done, I will judge. But what does he mean? I'm going to send 10 plagues and splitting of the sea. I'm going to punish them big time. So done has an implication of punishment, but it also has an implication of mishpat, of judgment. Uh, and many other places it's used, and I haven't got a quote, but many places it's used to mean I will judge and I will find out who's guilty and who's not guilty. With not necessarily implying a punishment, or that might be a consequence of the judgment, but it's not a simple meaning of the word done. Um, it's also worth pointing out that it can mean uh, as in sort of to champion, as in Pashat Hazinu, Hashem says towards the end of Pashat Hazinu when things start getting better, Kiyadin Hashem Amo. Hashem will judge his people. No, it doesn't mean Hashem will judge his people. Yadin Hashem Amo means Hashem will champion his people. He will restore his people. He'll lead his people back to Eretz Yisrael. It will be good, good, good. So the word done can mean a lot of things. Rashi is keen to tell us what it means in this case. It doesn't mean champion. It doesn't mean punish. But it means judge. As in to judge, as to find someone guilty and to find someone not guilty. And in this case... Um, both of those are applied to um, Rachel, paralleling the two things in the Pasuk that she refers to, and also paralleling the two aspects to her state. On the one hand, she's had a child, in a sense, good. On the other hand, not good, because she hasn't had a natural child of her own, and she, as far as she can see at this particular point in her time, she's not going to. So hence, Rashi says, Chivani the Zikani. And I think that will be a good place to stop. Um, next week, we'll start with understanding Rashi's explanation of the word Naftali. It's a little bit complex because there is no less than three different explanations. Um, and that will be a treat yet in store for us for next week. 
So I think I will say thank you very much as usual for your attention and we will stop there.